Hello, in this week's show there are 40 million slaves around the world. Find out what the UN is doing to help them. Also, real concerns about Covid vaccine hoarding linked to the dreaded Omicron variant. And an alert over a desperate hunger crisis that's affecting millions in the Sahel, which is driving violence and displacement that's being felt as far away as the West African coast. Stay with us too for closing comments from regular guest Solange Bejetegui-Cortez and Gabriel Garcia-Marquez. You're in good company. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. Thanks for listening. First, the news. Growing food insecurity that's already affecting tens of millions of people across West Africa and the Sahel must not be ignored by the international community. UN humanitarians have warned the alert on Tuesday came as new data from the region indicated that almost 36 million people are expected to be acutely food insecure by the time of next year's lean season. This is usually in June, July and August, but it could start as early as next March. Here's Olo Sib from the World Food Programme, speaking from Senegal. We should be aware that the lean season is coming very fast, given that the food stocks are very low, uh, given that there is no enough water for pasture, there's no enough pasture for livestock, we anticipate an earlier lean season, especially for the pastoralists in the region. Over the next six months, the UN agency needs $700 million to reach people in need. Early lab data on vaccine effectiveness against the Omicron COVID-19 variant is useful, but it is still unclear how effective vaccines will be in neutralising the new coronavirus strain in very sick patients, a UN health agency panel said on Thursday. The development follows reassurance from the World Health Organization, WHO, that available vaccines hold up very well in protecting people from the worst forms of coronavirus sickness for six months or more. After that, there is a minor modest reduction among over 65s or those with underlying medical conditions. In Geneva, Dr Kate O'Brien from the WHO warned that the pandemic will not be snuffed out if countries continue to hold on to their COVID-19 vaccines. Countries have been waiting. They have been waiting and waiting and waiting. It's going to come, it's going to come, it's going to come. And now it is starting to come and we have to make sure that it continues. As we head into whatever the Omicron situation is going to be, there is risk that the global supply is again going to revert to high-income countries hoarding vaccine. As Omicron spreads, WHO highlighted that those most at risk remain the unvaccinated, who represented 80 to 90 percent of those who have fallen seriously ill from COVID-19. The increasing needs of refugees and migrants from Venezuela have worsened with the COVID-19 pandemic, UN humanitarians have warned. The number of Venezuelans worldwide who've left their country has now topped 6 million. The vast majority have been taken in by countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. This follows violence, insecurity and a lack of food, medicine and other services in Venezuela that have forced millions to flee the country, creating one of the largest displacement crises in the world. UN humanitarian agencies UNHCR and IOM have stepped up their response to the crisis with a joint appeal for $1.79 billion. It will fund a regional plan for supporting the increasing needs of refugees and migrants from Venezuela and host communities across 17 countries. The headlines there and now to our interview which shines a light on the work of the UN Voluntary Trust Fund on contemporary forms of slavery. Already this year the fund has helped NGOs in 30 countries with direct funding assistance to 18,000 victims of slavery. 
To find out more about its work, I spoke to board member and survivor of child trafficking and slavery, Suramir's Perano Guzman. The United Nations Voluntary Trust Fund on Contemporary Forms of Slavery serves the children who have experienced the most severe forms of forced labor, sexual slavery, and perhaps even the traditional forms of slavery throughout the world. The fund serves indigenous people, people with special needs, people with disabilities who are being exploited in gold mines, perhaps in Africa, or children who are being forced into begging in Senegal, for example. So those are the children, those are the people that the fund serves. One of the special things about this fund is that it really gets to the grassroots, which is, which is something that, you know, outside the Palace of Nations where I'm talking to you from, we're delighted to hear. So can you explain some of the projects this year that have helped those victims, please? Absolutely. In my experience, the fund meets the gaps that exist in funding and in services throughout the world. Often, funding is very limited on what they can be done. Our funding is able to meet directly the needs of people, directly outreach to children, and meet their needs, specific needs, whether if there's housing, whether if it's shelter, food, clothing, medical assistance, legal assistance. We have projects from all over the world providing direct psychological support to children who have experienced some of the most severe forms of human rights violations and sexual assault of uses throughout the world. How are the projects allocated? How do you apply for them? The applicants from all over the world, uh, uh, in a yearly basis, go and respond to a call for applications that the Secretary for the Fund puts together based on the mandate that says what the fund is supposed to do, how it's supposed to meet the needs of people, and also disperse funding in an equitable and geographical way to meet the needs of people throughout the world. We also see that in 2021, we provided 37 grants. We have provided services to more than 18,000 victims of slavery throughout the world. That is big. And this is the 30th anniversary. In 2022, we're looking into expanding our reach and serving more than, or perhaps more than 20,000 people based on the expansion of funding that we have seen as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of the fund. Yeah, it's a great achievement, but nonetheless, some 40 million contemporary slaves around the world where are the real hotspots for contemporary slavery? First, I want to address your first comment. I think it's important for us to recognize that slavery around the world is $50 billion plus industry. Yet, the fund only has a $1 million to combat slavery around the world. That is a call for members of the United Nations to give and give generously to address slavery throughout the world. Without those contributions, we can't meet the needs. And with a million dollars, we're barely scratching the surface of what is happening in places like Africa or places like South America, where we see mass migration and children and women, indigenous people being disproportionately impacted by both the pandemic, but also by the pandemic of slavery that has continued to expand around the world. Now, Suomez, this is going to be a sensitive issue because you're a victim of child sexual exploitation and trafficking. This must give you huge insight into what you want the fund to do and who you want it to help and maybe add some urgency to your work as well. Is there anything you care to share about your personal experience? I am honored to join the Trust Fund as a survivor of trafficking, as a father, as a husband, as an advocate, as, a, as somebody who 
who, who know firsthand the challenges that we experience when our systems of beliefs are broken down. I was born in Honduras into a really non-traditional family, into a really a lot of vulnerabilities, a lot of challenges. My family was very abusive, so until this day, I, I have 57 scars on my body about all of the abuse I suffered on my hands of my father. And then after my father left, that is when I started encountering a lot more abuse at the hands of, of people on the streets because I was trying to provide for my family. At the age of 12, I encountered my first sexual assault. Three months later, I was sexually assaulted again. And two years later, I was kidnapped and brought to San Diego, California, where for six months, I was a victim of child sex trafficking. There was many names. They gave many names, many numbers to what happened to me. But just to give you an insight of what, what we go through, I was sexually assaulted 197 times during a period of six months. This is, as a child, as a, as a human, this was meant to break me, to kill me, but it didn't. And that is perhaps what I bring to the fund, is the will to live and the will that we know that if we provide the correct funding, the correct services, people like me, people, survivors of slavery throughout the world can overcome their trauma, reintegrate to society, and help us rebuild our society from the ground up as we need as total social change and social cause for change and political change to address the slavery throughout the world. That is the only way we will get to address the slavery and continuously to address the needs of people and also to address the gaps that exist in policy, the gaps that exist and in, in even in leadership to address geopolitical challenges when it comes to slavery, for example, or gold mining, or when we are forcing children into producing the very products that we end up buying every single day, and our cell phones and the batteries or whatever that looks like. So we need to address this as a social conscious and address that there are social issues that we can start making better choices, perhaps demanding the brands and companies around the world start providing human rights, start thinking about the very foundation of people before you exploit their country, before you exploit their community for the purpose of gaining funds. And Sumi's last question to you, you said that the fund has very limited investment, so a million dollars for this $50 billion trafficking industry. So which organs of the United Nations are you most involved with? I know the Secretary General is very concerned about this issue, mm -hmm. and he talks about it regularly. So the General Assembly, which other committees are you working with closely? Um, the United Nations Office for Drug and Crimes, um, that has been an office also that has been very closely addressing slavery, specifically though, I would say the trust fund itself is the only fund that addresses slavery as a whole. Other funds that I have worked with address sex trafficking, uh, the only one component of the slavery rather than the whole than the whole component of slavery, I think. But also with the, the, the Human Rights Council, I have done a lot of work with them also internationally in the United States and policy and advocating for different uh, laws. For example, in Honduras, where we passed the, the Trafficking Act actually just two years ago, there was an update of the original uh, Anti-Slavery Act that this, uh, and this year really adhere, adhere to the need of, in, of being inclusive uh, and including people, LGBTQ people, people who identify indigenous, or people who identify as other gender other than female and male. My thanks then to Suamir's Prana Guzman for sharing his personal story and for the really positive work of the UN Voluntary Fund for Victims of Modern Slavery. Now, let me turn to our regular guest, Solange Bejetegui Cortes. Now, let me turn to our regular guest, Solange Bejetegui Cortes, for her thoughts on what we've just heard about the state of slavery today. Hi, Solange. 
Hola Daniel, ¿cómo estás? Well, uh, thank you to Suamris Piraino Guzmán. His was a strong testimony and proof of resilience and engagement. I repeat, thank you Suamirs, because despite all that he has suffered, today he is acting and mobilizing to help other victims through the United Nations Voluntary Trust Fund on Contemporary Slavery. Most of us know of slavery only through the accounts of others. Literature is full of accounts of slavery. Oliver Twist, Les Miserables, Memoirs of a Geisha. But there's one story I remember in particular, the incredible and sad tale of innocent Erendira and her heartless grandmother. A long title for a short story written by the Colombian writer Gabriel García Márquez. It is the story of Erendira, a 12-year-old girl whose wicked grandmother forces her into prostitution because she has accidentally set fire to the house where they lived. The inspiration for the main character, Erendira, came from an 11-year-old girl who García Márquez met in a remote Caribbean village and who was being prostituted by a woman who might as well have been her grandmother. Daniel, this was all real and nothing magical. García Márquez said that there's not a single line in all his work that does not have a basis in reality. So Daniel, there are plenty of Erendiras out there with ground glass in their bones, as García Márquez writes. The world is full of children victims of sexual slavery, forced labor and other forms of slavery covered by visible and invisible scars. Even if very often the horrors of reality surpass fiction and new forms of slavery appear, let's remember, as García Márquez also said, that life is the best thing that's ever been invented. Your interview guest, Suamirs, reaffirms life so powerfully and without an author as an intermediary to tell his story. Despite the 57 scars on his body meted out to him by his father, his actions and mission remind and call us that there is a reality out there that demands that we act together. Thank you, Solange. And Suamir's also, who's clearly been through so much and yet amazingly still has the energy and drive to help others. If you would like to hear Suamir's story in Spanish, you can, because our super intern, Ines, did the interview, which is now on ONU Noticias. That's right, isn't it, Solange? For a Latin American like me, it's Noticias, ONU Noticias, but a Spanish would say ONU Noticias. Okay, thank you, Solange. Time is up. Thank you, listeners, for being with us this week. We'll be back next time with an interview from a COVID call centre in Central African Republic. It's fighting misinformation and helping people avoid the coronavirus too. It's a brilliant initiative from the World Food Programme. Don't forget, for more news and interviews, just check out UN News. This is our 50th show. Here's to the next half century. Bye-bye for now. Ciao, Daniel, y felicidades por el 50 aniversario. Medio siglo. 
Thank you.